I wish we could do it one more time. Let me be spiritual. <laughs> spare me. I will spare you. I will spare you. I will spare you. But what a great reminder. I thank you, GE, for reminding us of all the spiritual beings that are in this room this morning. Thank God all the beautiful faces are here, but we have to affirm it sometimes. Sometimes we get to affirm. Oh, girl, I'm not singing. I'm not singing. <laughs> Yes, yes. In the spirit, love, joy, peace, long suffering, goodness, goodness, faith, peace, with some affirmations. Repeat after me and say this together. I am a spiritual being. I see with new eyes. I see with God's eyes. I can see clearly now. I am creating change. And God, we recognize your presence in this place. Not just all around us, God, but also within us. For the spiritual beings that you have made us, you have created us, and you called us good. God, we affirm that right now. We open up our spirits and our minds to receive what you would have us to receive this morning. Be with us now and speak, Spirit. Speak. And all the people say, Amen. Well, people of faith and people of God, I want to tell you a story this morning. And what an intro you gave, Gospel Ensemble. The story I want to talk about is not of a natural being, but it actually is of a spiritual being. It's a story about a spiritual being who's living a natural experience. Now, one thing I know is spiritual beings who are living natural experiences always make for good stories. Yes, they make for fascinating stories. Some might even say dramatic stories. Look to your neighbor and say dramatic. Oh, I tell you, I have doubts about many things in my life. I have doubts sometimes about the nature of God. I have doubts about humanity's free will. I have doubts about whether aliens are living on a far distant planet. I even have doubts uh, about vegetarians and whether or not they should be eating animal crackers. I have doubts about many different things in my life. But there is one thing I am sure of, and that's Christians love drama. Oh, my goodness gracious. We will sit and we will pray with one another. 
But we, it's much better if we do it over a cup of tea. Amen? Yes, we love drama in our lives. So this morning, I'm going to share a dramatic story, and it comes to you from the Gospel of John. And let me tell you about this story. It's one about hope coming from the sky. But this story is also about the poor down below who are constantly crying. It's a story about love under the cover of darkness. It's also a story about betrayal among friends who can only be described as cruel and heartless. It's a story about suspense and a humanity that would rather hide in fear than for others to know the truth about who they hold dear. It's a story about not giving up, and it's a story about some who gave it all up. Yes, it's about competition and camaraderie. It's about those who, in order to maintain their level of comfort and privilege, how they will resort to murder and violence. But it's also about those who, no matter how high the odds are stacked up against them, they somehow find ways to never be silenced. And instead, they create change in their lives for themselves and for their world. People of God, I wish I could divulge every single detail for you of this never-ending, this noble, this naughty, this nerve-wrecking narrative. Every juicy bit. But... If you want to be exposed to more, you're going to have to read it yourself. You're going to have to experience it for yourself. And for some of you, that means opening up your Bibles for the first time. And that's okay. There's no judgment in this place. I invite you to come and see. Look to your neighbor and say, come and see. Come and see that the story I'm talking about is found in the Gospel of John. Our scripture text today is from the fourth gospel, traditionally John's gospel. Now, what you may not know is that this gospel was not written by the disciple named John. Yes, I know it bears his name, but a lot of things bear names, and that don't make it mean it's theirs. What you may not know is that all of the gospels were written by more than one individual. You see, all of the gospel writers lived in communities. And these communities of spiritual believers wrote these Gospels. And so what they would do is they would collect stories that people passed on from the past. These stories about Jesus. And some of them created new stories. And that's okay. Some other writers decided to insert their own stories into the text. And that's okay because if you can't see your own story in the story of Jesus, you may not see the truth of the good news. What you come away with is a truth-telling tale, both dramatic and inviting. And because readers, you and me, and especially those in the first century, because they could see themselves in the story, it became a compelling story, a good story. Some even called it good news. It became a good story because first was its ability to draw you into it. You've got to be drawn in to come and see. The background for our specific text today is that Jesus is baptized by John the baptizer. And once he baptizes Jesus, people begin to take notice about this Jesus. They take notice because John has been talking about this Jesus. So much so that even some of his own followers decide they want to follow this Jesus. Some of them want to follow him, so they're going to have to get in line though. And I'll tell you why. Because there are others who are following this Jesus Christ. There are many others, and some you may not be aware of. 
You see, the Pharisees were following Jesus in the first century, but not in the discipleship kind of way, but rather in a big brother kind of way. Oh, yes, they keep a close eye on this Jesus. And why? Because it is he who speaks out against the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all of the religious leaders in his day about their rules, about exclusivity and what is clean and what's not clean, about who's in and who is out. Jesus sees this and he experiences it. He sees the pain in people's lives and he sees the need to create change. And so he speaks up and they follow him very closely. Oh, but it wasn't just the Pharisees who were following Jesus. The Roman authorities were also following him. Oh, what do you mean, Reverend Michael? Were the police after Jesus in the first century? People of God, I hate to tell you, but the popo were after Jesus in the first century. Jesus has been speaking out against the Roman Empire for their so-called Pax Romana, Roman peace that was actually no peace at all. The empire that was Rome in the first century, what they did was inflict terror via public mass executions and vast military armies, not just on the Jewish people, but on all the people who lived in their conquered lands. Jesus sees this, and he sees the pain and the hurt that's going on in people's lives, and he sees the need to create change. But Rome will have none of it. And so they keep a close and watchful eye on this Jesus. Well, with so many people following Jesus, I hope that you can forgive him for being a little nervous in our text today. You see, Jesus wasn't no fool. He suspected he was under a watchful eye. Similar to how Martin Luther King Jr. was under surveillance by the FBI. People were watching Jesus, and he was nervous. People of God, it's okay to get nervous when people are watching you. When religious fundamentalists hate you, like the anti-gay evangelicals, it's okay to get a little nervous. When so many institutions and governmental authorities are out to get you and arrest you and torture you, like the government of Nigeria is doing right now to same-gender-loving people, our own MCC brothers and sisters are under siege right now in Nigeria. When this happens, it's natural to get a little nervous. When governmental authorities deny you your rights, like the state of Texas is doing to so many same-gender-loving individuals who wish to get married to their partner, it's natural. It's natural when people want to get rid of you and deny you your rights. It's natural to be a little nervous. And so in the first century, Jesus is just a bit nervous. And then John's disciples decide to walk up on Jesus. Have you ever had someone in your life walk up on you unexpectedly? And I see some smiles over here. I'm going to ask the gospel at some but what happens when someone walks up on you unexpectedly? You swang, you swang. Those from the hood and the barrio, they throw punches. Yes. But those of us who believe in nonviolent resistance like Martin Luther King, yes, we talk. And we verbalize. And so Jesus sees John's disciples coming after him. And he's noticing them. And he gets a little nervous. And he turns around and he says, what you want? What are you looking for? And the disciples say, whoa, hold up, Jesus. We're the good guys. We want to follow you. We want to learn about this kingdom. We want to know where you're going, where you're going to be living. We want to be right with you wherever you are. 
And Jesus says, oh, is that right? Well, if that's what you want, you're going to have to come and see. Look to your neighbor and say, come and see. And so the disciples came, and people of God, the disciples saw. And do you know what they saw? Do you know what they experienced? They experienced miracles of the blind being able to see again. But you know what else they experienced? Jesus being stripped away and arrested from them. They saw poor people hearing good news, and they saw sex workers believing that God loved them too. Thank God. But they also saw those closest to Jesus deny him and abandon him in his mission to bring social justice, God's justice, to the community. They saw people who for all intensive purposes were dead on the inside and out, their hearts cold and their dreams gone, their faces torn with no hope to look upon. They saw these folks resurrected from this dead state, rising from the ashes of their former life to a new life, a divine life of unlimited potential. They saw this, praise God, but they also saw their friend. They saw their mentor. They saw their leader in the movement, Jesus, tortured and executed. They came and they saw it all. The good, the bad, and the ugly, the joys and the pains that we sometimes experience in this natural life. They experienced the fullness of what you and I might experience. I firmly believe, and I will submit to you this morning, that in order to create change, these disciples, they had to experience it all. They had to get their hands dirty and actually do some work to make change. They had to be the hands of Jesus. And so when Jesus goes and loves on the sex workers and touches the outcast, then these disciples have to do it also. When Jesus speaks truth to power, and he fights and he speaks up for all marginalized people, including Jewish peasants and Galilean immigrants, that means the disciples in the first century speak up for these Roman non-citizens who have no legal status in the empire known as Rome. The disciples came and they saw and they did the work they were supposed to do. You've got to work. There's the story of a pastor who had a very complex relationship with one of his neighbors. He was a Baptist minister. Oh, Lord Jesus, help us. He was a Baptist minister, and his neighbor uh, was an atheist named Mary. And as you might imagine, they always engage in, you know, a little tit for tat now and then. They're always trying to convert one another, trying to get to the other to see the lights, and hopefully they'll come to the other side. Well, this one afternoon, the pastor comes home, and he sees Mary working out in her garden, and it's beautiful. The flowers are lush, bright vibrant colors even the lawn around the garden is just mowed to perfection he sees this and he walks over to mary he says mary this garden is beautiful it is such a blessing to see you and jesus just out here and making this garden look so beautiful and mary stops pulling weeds for a second she stands up and she scratches her head and she says well thank you pastor for recognizing the hard work that goes into this. Thank you for recognizing the beauty. But I must tell you, this garden didn't look like much when Jesus had it all to himself. <laughs> You've got to work. 
no matter what, you've got to work and you've got to get your hands dirty or else you will create no change at all. You see, there are too many of us, even in this building, who think that Jesus means for us to simply come and see, meaning we just accept him in our hearts and just be done with it. God bless you. How's that working out for you? But I dare say that you blindly professing or following Christ will not by itself create lasting change in our world. You blindly professing and following Christ will not by itself create lasting change in our world. But you know what will? When the Christ in you begins to recognize the Christ in others, then you begin to see change. When you're working with other peoples to bring justice, to affirm the sacred value of every individual on in which you encounter, then you'll be able to see things happen. St. Teresa of Avila said, Christ has no body on this earth but yours, no hands but yours, no feet but yours. And when Jesus says, come and see, that does not mean come and watch Jesus handle everything. He said, come and see, not come and take a seat. If you want to see change in the world, you've got to get out of your seat and go do something. Sometimes that means go and attend a rally. Sometimes it means you plan the rally. Sometimes it means you going out in Montrose at night and handing out condoms to people at nightly neighborhood events and saying God loves you while you do it. Sometimes it means going to Montrose Grace Place tomorrow and helping organize care packets for homeless LGBT youth living on our city streets. Sometimes it means going to globaljusticeinstitute.com and donating money to help fund safe houses for gays and lesbians who are fighting to stay free and to stay alive in the country of Nigeria. Sometimes it means just taking an HIV and AIDS test after service in the gathering place and knowing your status. I dare you, people of God, to come and see. But I recognize... That in the justice work that so many of us are in, those of you who come and see, you do get tired. You get weary from the struggles of this natural experience. I tell you, it is okay to be tired. Because even spiritual beings get weary in the struggle. In his book, Strength to Love, Martin Luther King talks about how after receiving threatening phone calls in the middle of the night, after threats against his wife and family, after his own house was bombed by people who feared change, he said he grew weary. In his book, he writes, I was ready to give up. I had no courage left. I was exhausted, and I seriously wanted to quit. Quote, I tried to think of a way to move out of the picture without appearing to be a coward. Martin Luther King. But he says... In his prayers, he began to remember and he began to see with new eyes that he wasn't alone in this fight for justice, that he had others in the movement to rely upon, that he had spirit who lives on the inside of him to rely upon. He began to see his natural experience with new eyes. There's the story of an aging Hindu master, a guru, who was getting tired of one of his apprentices always complaining about life always complaining about the sufferings that people were going through, always complaining about the pains that people were experiencing in their natural lives. And so he sent the apprentice off. He said, go get some salt. 
And so the apprentice went and he got salts and he brought it back. And the guru said, now take a handful of salts and drop it in a glass of water and drink. And so the apprentice began drinking. And the guru said, how does it taste? And the man's face soured up. It's bitter, guru. It's bitter. It's bitter. He says, now take a handful of salts and walk down to the lake and throw it in the lake and drink. And so the apprentice walked down to the lake, dropped the handful of salts in the water, bent over, took a little water, drank it. And as it dripped down his mouth, the guru said, how does it taste? And he said, it tastes fresh, guru. And the guru said, let this be a lesson to you. Pain is nothing more than pure salts. In this life, the amount of pain that every, people, every person goes through is going to be relatively the same. The pain is going to be the same. But the bitterness you taste depends on the container in which you place the pain in. If you go along and you see the bitterness and you taste it, enlarge your thinking, enlarge your seeing, and begin to see with new eyes. Don't see yourself as a glass of water with salt. See yourself as a lake being able to take in fresh water one day at a time. People of God, sometimes we've got to see with new eyes. Jesus says, come and see, and that means many different things. But part of it is to see with new eyes. Come and see the world as God sees it. Come and see people as God sees them. Come and see yourself as God sees you. If you do, you will begin to see the potential and the opportunities. Come and see that spark of the divine that is on the inside of each and every person. Everyone in this room, whether you have faith in God or faith in the powerful potential of a hopeful humanity, you are indeed a spiritual being. As a spiritual being, don't be afraid to try on new experiences and even new pains and joys. But embrace this totality of the life that we are given and use it to see things anew. Yes, I know drama, drama, drama can be a bit much sometimes. But don't shy away from it. Be a part of it and change it. People of God, as you begin to embrace the inner divinity of your own humanity, as you begin to see with new eyes, as you begin to get off of your seat and actually do something to create change in this world, I promise you, you will be happier than ever, and you will begin to create lasting change for you, for me, and for everyone in this world. Amen.